Hello. And welcome to yet another episode of Saturday the 14th. And this one is special because it is actually being recorded on Saturday the 14th. It's Saturday the 14th. It's Pi Day. It is March. Yeah. Everything's scary. The world is ending. Uh, It is an actual special Saturday the 14th because this is the birthday of the wonderful Paul who did our intro and outro music, which is insanely cool it's very cool he's lovely he's also engaged to maddie which is nice that helps yes. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that part so um, a happy birthday to him and happy saturday the 14th yeah to everyone i hope you guys are all having a fun and spooky time locked in your apartment yeah it is a little extra spooky unfortunately it is but we are here to hopefully help you get through the dreary locked up times by talking about a movie about the end of times. yes uh which is also hitting a little close to home i know I was in a grocery store yesterday realizing how like horribly unprepared I am if like the big earthquake hits. Yeah. And apparently everyone else is too because of like the weird toilet paper issues happening around the world now. Yeah, that it's crazy. I was just kind of realizing that like we didn't really do grocery shopping kind of before all of this stuff happened. We were like a little behind on that. And we have like no food in our apartment. We are getting very creative with some meals because the only meat the Trader Joe's had left were Uncured bratwurst, which was lunch today, uh, sliced gyro meat, and uh, smoked salmon, which I surprisingly didn't buy any of, huh. despite the fact that I eat a lot of smoked salmon in my yeah. life. Uh, and then the only produce I could find were like tomatoes and apples. So cool. it's going to be an interesting week. Or yeah, two. I think I'm going to have to stop by the grocery store maybe on the way back from this and just Good see luck. what happens. So uh, with that horror story in mind. Um, oh, but where I was going with that was that I was like, wow, what if like... There are some old gods deciding that we need to just end everything and start the earth over. And, like, maybe humanity deserves that. I don't know. If that's the case, this is the most appropriate episode we could be doing. I know. Um, this week we are talking about... Cabin in the Woods. A, an, an insanely fun uh, horror comedy by Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard. Um, it's fantastic. It's, it's a, a great really movie. It's a fun, good movie. It's scary. It's good. It's funny. It's fantastic. Um, but so let's get straight into it. Yeah. So like we said, this is um, a horror comedy. It came out in 2011. But it was actually filmed in like 2008, 2009. Yeah. They sat on it for a couple of years because MGM was having drugs. No. Yeah. MGM, yes, went, MGM uh, was filed for drugs. bankruptcy, I believe. Yeah. And eventually Lionsgate released it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a horror comedy. Uh, as Maggie said, it was written by Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard, and it was directed by Drew Goddard. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that Joss Whedon directed this, which he did not. All I knew about this movie going into it the first time I saw it in theaters was that it was a horror movie that had something to do with Joss Whedon. Yeah. Which I feel like was the perfect amount of information to go yeah. into this movie with. I think that's about right. Uh, this was also Drew Goddard's uh, directorial debut, though. Yes. So he was a writer, I guess, on Buffy and Angel, um, which is how he and uh, Joss Whedon started working together. And so they kind of have a similar tone. Um, So it worked out really, really well. I mean, it seems like a Joss Whedon movie, but you can kind of see. One of my favorite fun facts about this is the two, like, office guys are supposed to represent the two of them. Oh, my God. Which just feels very accurate. It does. Because they're just, like, sitting around watching things happen and, like, making jokes about it. And, like, imagine being a writer who, like, they make a horror TV series. Like, that must be how they felt in, like, the writing room. It's so cool. Probably, yeah. Um, so with that in mind, this is starring, uh, Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, Anna Hutchinson, Fran Kranz, 
uh, Jesse Williams, and then as those two office guys, the incredible Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. And this is the uh, second movie that we've done with Bradley Whitford in it. Yes, and I think I've talked at length before about how much I love Bradley you Whitford. You have. I adore uh, him. If anyone here wants to hear all about Maggie's crush, one, keep listening because you'll probably mention it a couple more times. I love times. Bradley Whitford. But two, you can listen to our episode on Get Out where she expresses it. Listen, I watched times. a lot of West Wing at a very young age. She says this on the Get Out episode too. <laughs> and I mean, it's all true though. And it is. What's nice about our podcast is that you can choose to listen to this out of order if you want or like skip around if there are movies that you have not watched. Yeah. Which is you, why we can be a little repetitive at times. Yeah, you can scroll through and listen to all of my bizarre celebrity crushes because there fun. are many there's of them and they're all weird. There's definitely an episode where I talk about movie fish. Yeah. I think that might have been our first episode. Might have been. It was early on. No, uh, it was Jaws, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, let's get into this. So this movie was made for $30 million. It was, um, which, I, I don't know, it has like a small budget feel in just like the, something about the vibe feels a little small budget, but then when you think about it, like there's an insane amount of special effects. Yeah. Um, I do know that they actually didn't have enough money to do all the special effects they wanted to do. Um, there's a scene towards the end where there are like a bunch of different television screens showing different things and they didn't have the budget to do green screen. So they actually needed to like synchronize all of it perfectly. Yeah. And it worked. It did. Yeah. And they were like, thought that was like one of the proudest moments of the film. That is pretty crazy. So, even though $30 million sounds like a lot, it wasn't that much. Also, I think it's very interesting that this, um, all of the special effects, like you see a lot of monsters in this movie. Almost all of those are practical effects. That's They're so like cool. people in costumes. Um, there are a couple. There's like a ghost, uh, the, wraith. the wraith, and then like the giant snake, I think, are both um, CGI. But those they kind of added might in. There uh, spiders, too. There be... might be, yeah. There are like a couple things that they added in because I guess there were sort of like gaps in the screen and that they wanted sense, to fill it in. yeah. But, so, the company that does uh, the practical effects for this movie and that does a bunch of other effects is called AFX, and it is co-owned and run by Heather Langenkamp Anderson, uh, who, back when she was just Heather Langenkamp, played Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think is such a delightful way to stay in the industry without still being, like, an actor. I love that the horror industry, just, like, we're a whole bunch of friends who all help each other. Right. I'm I'm pretending that I'm in the horror industry (laughs) uh, by having a podcast that is not profitable. Yes. But you know what? We have fun. And I love and appreciate everyone who works in the horror industry. We do. Yeah. There. No. Yeah. It's such a great and cool community from what it looks like from the outside, (laughs) uh, from us with our face pressed against the glass looking at it. I love (laughs) it. It looks like a fun time in there. Um, and then it made a pretty good return on its box not or on its budget. Huge, not huge, but also but okay. it did have some struggles coming out. Yeah. Um. Honestly, the fact that it waited to come out was probably helpful because this movie um, was the first time that Chris Hemsworth worked with Joss Whedon. Right. And then he ended up becoming Thor because of it. Yeah. Um. And it's funny because this came out after the first Thor movie, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, I think so. Because people, he was already like a pretty big name, which yeah. is probably a yeah, part of why it did well. Exactly. So I think that helped. Um, Jesse Williams has been in th- like a bunch of yeah, people. Yeah, he was in Grey's Anatomy, in and like Frank Kranz has been in a bunch of like he was in Dollhouse. I haven't seen Dollhouse, which is also a Joss Whedon show. Which he's really good in Dollhouse. That's the Eliza um, Dushku one, right? Yeah. Uh, I need to watch it. It's okay. It's. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews. The the parts that are good about it are really cool, but then there's like some weird stuff as well. That's mm. like, oh, this could have been done better. Yeah. Um. But he's good in it. I think he's fun in it. Um, So, yeah, I would definitely say that Chris Hemsworth is the biggest name in this. And with that in mind, waiting until he actually became a big name was probably a really good call. Not that it was intentional, but it worked out pretty well for them. So, yeah, I mean, it it did okay. It made about $66 million, which is 
good, but again, with a $30 million budget, probably not as good as they were hoping. Was it probably was in the black, but just barely, right? Because a lot of times when you see a thirty million dollar budget, that means about the same amount was probably spent on advertising. Yeah, but like I didn't really know anything about the movie. Uh, it was like I a random film kid it. at Emerson who told me to come watch it with him. Yeah, um, but I mean it's kind of a comical classic. Um, so with that said, let's get on into that plot. Yeah. So the movie starts off in a laboratory yes and it shows two guys in like suits and are they in lab coats uh no i think they're just in like white button-down shirts with ties um but at some point someone uh comes up to them in a lab coat Mm -hmm. yes she's talking about how things have gone badly in stockholm and how uh there's some sort of project going on and it's up to the u.s to complete it yeah And it's sort of, so the two guys, uh, it's Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, uh, who play Sitterson and Hadley, respectively. Um, they're, like, talking about their personal lives and how, like, Hadley's wife is trying to get pregnant. And, and she's, she's, like, like baby-proofing the house, even though she's not pregnant yet. Yeah, and she's, like, baby-proofing, like, the upper cabinets. He's like, the kid's going to be 30 before he can reach them. Yeah. Um, and so they're just, like, they seem like normal folks and they're like driving around on a little golf cart and then we get like the big like bright red letters um and loud music yeah that, that does the cabin in the woods yeah um and this scene was actually intended to make people think they like walked into the wrong theater like I love it that. started looking so not like a horror movie it really being, like, doesn't a weird comedic thing yeah that, uh they did that on purpose to make people that. feel like they were just in the wrong place and oh not know God. what was going on. That's so perfect. Um, and then the title screen, big red letters, the big loud music, yeah. very um, funny games. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Um, and then from there, you get into, like, typical beginning of a teenager movie where there's, yeah. like, a poppy song playing. We see a girl with a shirt on and her underwear. Yeah, like, she's, packing like, up books and, like, looking dreamily at a sketch that she'd drawn of a professor. Yeah, so this is Dana. Um, she's our cool, redheaded main character. And played by Kristen Connolly, who was also in a bunch of episodes of House of Cards. Yeah. And then she's talking to her friend Jules, who's like the cute blonde. Uh, she's played by Anna Hutchinson. And she's who just I... dyed her hair blonde. Yes. Um, and so she's like, um, Jules is trying to get Dana to get over this professor that like she dated and then he like dumped her via email and she's like, so come to uh, like come to the cabin with us. It'll be so much fun. You can meet like my boyfriend's hot friend. Um, and and her then boyfriend comes in and he's Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth and his name is Kurt. Yes. And Kurt is like, he's like looking at the books that she is going to bring for like fun if she gets bored and they're all like sociology textbooks. And he's like, this is lame. And there's like a cute moment where he's like, who showed you these? Who showed you like, who taught you about these? And like (laughs) his girlfriend does like the, I learned it from watching you like drug PSA joke. Yeah. And then he's like, Oh, don't bring these anyway. Like check out this other book that she also has on her shelf. She's like, he's like, it's much better. Like the professor that for the class that you're going to be in, like he hasn't read it. So he'll think that you have like these fun innovations and like cool ideas. Uh, Except he's saying that to Dana and the professor he's referencing is the one that she'd been sleeping with. Oh shit. I missed that. Yeah. So so he's like, oh yeah. Like this professor will be so impressed because like he loves these books that you're planning on bringing, but bring this one that he doesn't know about. And like, if you reference it, like he'll be impressed by you. And so it was kind of like a little stab. That's what I took from it. That's okay, I, I didn't realize. It I thought it was like a different. I thought that was a professor she'd already had. I don't right? know. That's what it seemed like. Okay, maybe. I don't know. I thought they were talking about a different class, but I also I thought it was like know. spring break. 
I figured it was either spring break or summer break, like between It could semesters. have been summer break. It wasn't really clear, but it could be yeah. someone where like he dumped her. Now they're going on spring break and then coming back because That's like true. if you're in a semester school, spring break is not between semesters. It's just like a week off. That's a good point. Although I think it would be a little cold for them to be out in short shorts over spring break. Because it looked like they were in like new england or something or i don't like... know it's not very clear Either anyway way, he's clearly like a smart guy and a nice guy he's yeah all of them are actually very smart people yeah uh, it's mentioned later that jules is pre-med yeah um and dana's like studying sociology and it sounds like kurt is doing the same thing and they're all like really cool awesome nice yeah they seem students. amazing and then so he throws a football out of the window to his friend um holden who is the friend that they're trying to set dana up with and he's played by jesse williams Hey, he's so attractive. He's so handsome. Ugh. Yeah, he's very handsome. Um, and he is introduced as being more of, like, the athletic type. So he's, like, on the football team. Like, he seems like he's also a really smart guy. But, like, Kurt talks about how he has, like, the fastest hands on the team. And then Jules is like, oh, so he's good with his hands, huh? <laughs> and Dana's and, like, like wing, stop wing, doing nudge, this to me. To <laughs> um, so they all go down. They're getting ready to go to Kurt's cousin's cabin, which is not yes. an easy thing to say. It's not. And then my favorite character in this whole movie rolls. Oh, up. yeah, so Fran Kranz shows so up. Much. And he's like, rolls up in this like older car and he's smoking a, a huge, huge bong. bong, an enormous bong. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, police are too intimidated to pull over a guy with a giant bong because he's going to be unpredictable. They fear this man. And they're like, what are you, t- like, you're going to get us arrested. And he collapses the bong down into like what looks like a portable coffee mug, which is so funny and ridiculous uh it's actually a working coffee mug as well as a working bong the actual thing that they made it costs like six hundred dollars for them to make oh my god the original model of it he takes a drink out of it right yeah it actually is a working (laughs) coffee mug and a working bong it's insane shit uh so he is obviously incredible and also really high and they're like okay buddy let's just get in the car um, so Sorry, they... I'm filling in with all of the fun no, facts I that it. I learned from IMDb. So yes. I watched it on Amazon with all the fun facts on, yes. and it was really fun. Oh, my God. Well, you were telling me that he had to take, like, joint rolling classes, Yeah, he had to. Right? And they, had to like, they ended up making their own brand of rolling papers for the oh um, movie. But, yeah, he had to, like, learn it all and take classes about how to do all this. So, like, he could be really in character as the stoner. Well, he does a great job, honestly, when he's in the – they because, okay, in the um, – trailer basically the like rv that they're driving out there he's like sitting there rolling joints like the entire time yeah and he looks like just some guy at a party who's sitting there rolling joints and he's like spouting off conspiracy theories as they're driving yeah he's like we gotta let this world crumble and let somebody else have a turn and they're like what what are you talking about marty like just shut up you're so high and Um, then on the way there they stop for gas at this really old decrepit looking gas station yeah it's very um like Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets like I Spit on Your Grave, but without the rapiness. I would say it reminded me the most of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes. I can see that too. Um, I think that uh, the one where there's just like a foreboding stop at a gas station yeah. that we most recently watched True, was yeah. I Spit on Your Grave, but it's the vibe of it is more of the other yeah because the guys that i spit on you know i spit on your grave are not immediately threatening that's true they're just kind of annoying no, this guy's terrifying uh, he comes out and he's like the creepiest creepiest gas station attendant like the if you just imagine like stopping at a really fucked up gas station in the middle of the where on or, if you can just imagine uh stopping at a really fucked up gas station in the middle of nowhere and 
the type of guy that would come out of it and like basically say if you continue you're gonna die it would be this man he's exactly what you imagine he's terrifying and so like he and marty get into like a little disagreement because he's he calls jules a whore and marty's like what are you waiting for like the he's like oh i've been here since the war and marty's like which war would that be brother fighting brother like some in gray and some in blue <laughs> he's like i hear that one of these days the the railroad's gonna come through here and like they're gonna pave the street an actual street uh and so they like take off and then we see um Citizen and hadley back in their control room watching the oh because when they leave originally like when they drive away you see somebody on the roof being like the eagle has left the nest or whatever yeah um so they're watching I think the like kids an the whole time pro or like bird of some sort. no it's a guy with a little like oh oh you're, yeah. you're right but I'm i think there might be something else. following them i don't know exactly how they're seeing them in the the trailer but um but they get a call from this guy who's the harbinger i love that is his name and he's taking this whole thing so seriously and oh my god it's like the lambs have passed through the gate or something along those and lines he goes on like this long rant about how like the world shall be soaked in blood and they keep putting him on speakerphone <laughs> and he's like laughing he's like am i on speakerphone that's so rude you need to tell people i don't know who else is in that room right now and she's like okay you're off you're off you're off and he doesn't actually take him off and they just start laughing again and they hang up on he's him. like it did it again i don't know how it did it <laughs> it's so funny um so obviously something is going on with this like organization and these kids so the kids get to the cabin and it is basically the cabin from evil dead yes it's very reminiscent it's of it almost identical um and so the okay so the lab back in the lab they're like placing bets on what it is that's going to like get these kids during their time in the cabin right it becomes pretty obvious fairly early on that this is like setting up a horror scenario for these yeah, kids these and that they're like controlling things yeah they're, they're manipulating about, like, the use of a chem department yeah like they've um put chemicals in her hair dye and jules's hair dye to make her dumber they have like libido increasers getting pumped in there they say that they've treated marty's weed um all of this different stuff and yeah, they're taking all these bets and you can see the different types of monsters. Like there are zombies, there's a merman who yes. uh, Hadley bets on. He really wants to see a merman. He's like, I just want it to be a merman. Like this year it's going to be the merman. There is, uh, in keeping with the evil dead, an angry molesting tree. Oh, I didn't see that which one. Which is one of the things on there. There's like a whole bunch of, there's one that just says Kevin. <laughs> Um, what is that a reference to? I think it's a Sin City reference. Okay. Because there's the creepy dude named Kevin. And according to oh, the novelization. Oh, that's one played by uh, Elijah Wood, right? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I remember them seeing uh, in the fun facts that there was a reference to Elijah Wood's character because he's yeah. like a skinny looking guy who's actually very deadly. Yeah, and I think in the novelization they say that he looks like he could work at Best Buy, but he actually kills people and drains them of their blood or something Solid. like that. I haven't so. seen Sin City. I need yeah. to. Ooh, it's so good. You should see it. I feel like... I don't know. As a culture, we've just moved past Sin City as a movie. We have, but I would still say it's worth... It's very, like, mid-2000s, like, comic noir, but it's, like, fun. Okay, I'd like to see it. Um, There's nothing else for me to do in my apartment for the next, Right, exactly. Just catch up on things. Catch up on all the movies I missed from the mid-2000s. Done. Um, And so the first night, they're, like, all partying and drinking and having a fun time. They're playing Truth or Dare. Yeah, somebody dares Jules to make out with... The moose. (laughs) Marty says it, yeah, because he's like, I dare you to make out with that moose head over there. And it pans over and it's a wolf head on the wall. Which is a reference to Evil Dead because there's a moose head on the wall in the cabin from Evil Dead. Amazing. Thank you, IMDb, for all these fun facts. I really appreciate it. And they're like, do you mean a wolf? And he's like, I'm living in a womb of reefer here, guys. Give me a break. (laughs) And I was like, I love you. And so Jules goes over and there's a really, like 
awkward but funny scene where she makes out with this wolf head and there's like really uh foreboding music in the background so yeah. it looks like the first time I was, I was like it's gonna come to life it's gonna bite her it's gonna be horrible nothing happens and she's just like Ugh, at the end of it like picks like, like fur, fur out, out of her, her mouth yeah. apparently it was coated in powdered sugar to look like dust so that it wouldn't be oh that's horrible good. to make out with um i remember reading a fun fact about it but i honestly can't remember it's like i think the tongue was made of like silicone or something like mm, that yeah where and she so, was not actually looking a real wolf. Star. Thank God. <laughs> and so they're trying to come up with something for Jules to do. No. They're trying to come up with something for Dana to do. Uh, and they're like, okay, so just immediately do... Kurt's like, just say truth. We know that, like... And he says, I'm just skipping ahead because you're going to say dare. We're going to dare you just do something. You're not going to want to do it. And so you're going to say, I wanted truth all along. So I'm just skipping ahead. Yeah. And she's like, fuck that. Dare. And they're like, okay, I dare you to... And then in the middle of the sentence, like, the cellar door... Like the hatch, just like an Evil Dead, bangs open. Yep. And they're like, "Oh, it must be the wind." And Marty is like, "What, what are you talking f- what about? What fucking sense does that make?" He's like, "Don't go down into the creepy basement." And so she goes down into the creepy basement because they dare her to. Yeah. And so she's looking around and she screams because she's just like startled by there's like a doll or something that like freaks her out. Yeah, something catches the light. Yeah. And they come down and join her. Uh, she has a flashlight, but Marty finds like an old oil lamp and lights it. Yeah. And they start carrying it through the basement. And there are all these weird things. There are like masks. There's a wedding dress. There's, there's like a little music box. There's a conch shell. Yep. And then uh, it's funny. And they're all about to do something with it. And it's clear that like whatever they're going to do is summon whatever right. thing is going to attack them and so jules is like about to put on a necklace i think it's kurt who's about to blow into the conch shell yeah um, um marty's looking at some film strips which i think is how you get kevin i'm pretty sure that's what i read is that he's summoned by the film strips oh cool so we almost saw kevin oh damn and then um i think it's uh I think Holden has the Holden, music yeah. box, right? No, he has the... Oh, someone is playing with the music box, or was. Yeah. But someone was also um, playing with the ball. Oh, yeah, like the puzzle ball thing. Yeah. No, no, she was looking... Adena was looking at mm. the music box, then gets distracted by the journal. Right, so she picks up a journal and opens it up and is like, this is fucked up, She's guys. Like, hey, look guys, at this. like, come look at this. And it's really fucked up. Yeah, so it's the journal of this little girl named Patience Buckner um, who used to live in this cabin. And, like, it sounds like her family was part of, like, a pain-worshipping cult. Yeah, it seems like they – it kind of reminded me a bit of uh, the Da Vinci Code with the guy who, like, whipped his own back. For, yeah, sort to, of like to, like, that. punish himself. Yeah, and it's like she can't understand why she doesn't love – killing basically the way that her uh, family does and she doesn't love pain as well the way that her right. family does like her dad loves pain yeah and she talks about how when her brother cuts someone it gives him a husband bulge oh yeah which is and how like horrible. mother screamed and screamed and it didn't stop until like father cut oh. her open and stuck the hot coals in yeah it's like oh god and there's like a black room somewhere that they used to torture people in and one of the brothers was killed down there in the black yeah. room and so she's like oh there's some latin here and marty's like i'm drawing a line in the fucking sand do not read the latin and she's like it doesn't even mean anything and then you hear like whispers in the basement they're like read the latin out loud and marty's like what is that um, but they read the latin outside. and so they read it and the latin translates to Sorry, it's like me. bastard latin it's um, right no i think it's it's real latin oh okay um and it says like uh dolor supervio oh my god i'm so bad at this dolor supervivo caro dolor sublimis caro dolor igneo animus and it means pain outlives the flesh 
pain raises the flesh, pain ignites the spirit. And when she says that, um, we see a shot of a grave outside and like a hand digging up out of a grave. And then it like zooms out into the room with all the bets and they're like, okay, who had torture redneck zombies or whatever. And one of the like the other people who works there is like, I had zombies. And they're like, no, no, you had zombies. Everybody else, like maintenance who... I guess bets on the same people every time. So I think the, the illusion is that basically the Buckners always kill whoever is They the get house. in there a lot yeah. and they have a 100% completion rate where they always wipe out the entire house. They've yes. never failed. So he's like, yeah, they're different. Because like, see, maintenance had uh, redneck torture zombies and you had regular zombies. So you see they're two different types of zombies. They're entirely different species. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then... Uh, Things get, they kind of turn up the tension a little bit more in the house. Like, they're spraying pheromones and stuff into the house. Yeah, and uh, they get Jules and Kurt to go outside somehow. Yeah, so basically, they're all having this party still, and they're all drinking, and Jules is, like, doing this weird, sexy strip dance and, like, in oh, yeah, front and of the fire. Oh, yeah, everyone's like, what the fuck is she doing? And everybody's, like, really uncomfortable, except for Kurt, who's down with it. And yeah. so they, like, leave to go have sex. Outside. Outside. And the rest of them are like, what is going on? Like... This is not Kurt's normal. like a sociology major. Like Jules is pre-med. Why are they acting this way? Like it's really strange. And so they go outside and it's funny because he's like, oh, like, why do you think we came outside? She's like, I don't know. It's cold. So they increase the pheromones and also like increase the temperature outside. Yeah. And so then she gets like horny and warm. Warm, I guess. And they start like making out. She's like, oh, but it's too dark. And then the crew like watching like shines a light, like to like a huge like moon beam yeah. comes through. And so they start, like, having sex in this moonbeam. And, like, in the uh, control room, a bunch of people are watching. They're like, okay, get out, get out. Like, you all have to get out of here. And this, uh, this like, guard, basically, yeah, like he's a security like, guy. Team. This is his first time yeah. seeing this happen. He's like, do we really need to watch this? And, he, and uh, Hadley's like, hey, man, we're not the only people watching. So the, the illusion there is that there is a greater power that is watching them and needs to get, like, a certain thing out of it. Yeah. And they're like... Uh, rooting for her to take her top off at some point. And she does. She does. And basically she can't die until she takes her top off. Yeah. And then as uh, her and Kurt are kind of going at it, I think he might be like going down on her or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it's something like that. But uh, he's not super close to her head. No. But some zombies grab her. Yeah, they like put a knife through her hand. Oh yeah, that's what it is. She has her hand out and it stabs the knife through her hand. And they're like trying to run away and she gets like yanked back and Kurt runs ahead. Yeah, they have a bear trap that they on a chain that they will like throw at someone and then like clamps into their back and they'll pull them with it yeah. the zombies do this it's pretty cool oh god but just like it's so painful yeah it would hurt that. a lot yeah um and back at the cabin uh dana and holden are like all of a sudden holden has gotten like very intellectual and he's like he, reading the, the latin her what the latin means yes yeah. which is funny because she said it doesn't mean anything but then like he's like oh but it does it kind of does yeah and so they start making out and Marty comes through and he's like, he's got a husband's bold. And sort of like runs the moment. And she like has, there's this weird moment where they're like kissing or they start to kiss again. And she goes, well, I've never, like she's going to say she's never done this before. And then pauses and she's like, well, not never. Because obviously she has had sex with people before. Because she just talked about having sex with the professor yeah. like earlier in this movie. Yeah. And Marty's like reading, he's reading a book in bed for a little while because he's going to read and what what is it that he's reading? There's a voice. I don't remember what he's reading. It's like a kid's book. Oh, it's book. a kid's book. He's reading, um, oh, it's the, 
uh, uh, Nemo. Yes, Little Nemo. Yeah. So he's reading Little Nemo in bed. Because he says, like, I'm going to go read a book with pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he starts hearing these voices, and he's freaking out. And, and says, he's like, go for a walk. Yeah. And he's, he's like, like you can't tell me what to do. I'm the king of my own brain and all this stuff. And then he goes, I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> and he goes outside, and he runs into Kurt, who is, like, coming back and covered in blood. And be like, let's go inside. Yeah. And so he they run inside, and Kurt's like, you know, they got jewels. I don't know what's going on. Like some guy attacked us in the woods. And we need to get out of here. There's something to pack up. We need to go. And Dana's like, I can't go without jewels. She opens the door and like the Buckner father is like standing in it menacingly. Yeah. And he chucks Jules's head to her. Oh, yeah. So she grabs Jules's head and she screams and they slam the door shut. And so they're all like, okay, fuck, we like gotta go. Um, so they all run to their rooms to, like, pack up and well, all the doors first, lock. Uh, they're talking inside. Oh, right. And Chris Hemsworth, um, Kurt, says, like, okay, but the biggest thing is we all have to stick together. Like, we cannot leave each other. And then the people in the control rooms are watching. They're like, wait a second. And they're like, what's going on? They do something. He's like, wait. A-. And then Kurt goes and he's like, wait. We all need to split up. Everyone go to their rooms. And, and Marty's, Marty's like, like, no. Like, what the fuck sense is that? And so they all go to the rooms and the doors lock shut behind them. Yeah. Um, and so they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, the folks in the office uh, or in the, like, yeah, in the organization find out that Japan has failed. So they are the only hope left for staving off oh my God. the end of the world, uh, basically. We get to see a couple of clips of the Japan office, and it's clearly based on, like, the ring. Yeah, it's like a J-horror. And at some point, they say, like, every office's thing is different. Yeah. Like, every region had theirs. Yeah, it's like their own cultural kind of horror movie. But, yeah, it's based on the ring, and it's, like, a classroom full of, like, eight-year-old Japanese yeah. schoolgirls. And at first, you just see this room where this, like, Samara-looking woman is terrorizing them and then when they say they failed you get to see the video of like all these girls like do this little thing they're all holding hands and like singing a song and they capture the spirit in a happy frog yeah and sitterson walks over and he's like fuck you fuck you fuck you to all these like little tiny nine-year-olds he's like how hard is it to kill a bunch of nine-year-olds like he's so mad about it oh my god um so then we go back to uh the cabin um, Marty is freaking out and he doesn't know what's going on and he accidentally knocks over a lamp. And then he picks it up and notices there's like a camera inside yeah, the lamp. Yeah, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? He goes, oh, I'm on a reality TV show. <laughs> oh, my parents are going to think I'm such a burnout. <laughs> um, and the people who are watching, like the lab people, are like, we might have to do something about it. And then I think it's um, Citizen. Who's like, oh, no, don't worry. Like, Judea Buckner to the rescue. Yeah. Because one of the zombies. I don't remember if that was the Buckner it was. I think so. I think it's, yeah, Judah or Judea. Oh, Judah. Yeah. Uh, and he just, like, comes up and. Like, up through the window. Him, through the window. Yeah. And dragging him. And drags him off. Um, and I think we see after he's dragged off, uh, there's, like, a blood splatter. And whenever someone dies, there's, like, a close-up of a big rock. Uh yeah thing that has a inscription on it yeah and like blood like passes down through like these mechanical devices and like runs through a like a rivulet in like the big stone thing and uh citizen and hadley do like a prayer type thing whenever someone dies too. yeah and there's like a rumble when he dies underground and they're like oh, oh someone's looks like getting excited they're getting excited yeah so Kurt, Holden, and Dana managed to get away from the house. I think the doors open back up again. Or they no, they smash through. There's a window between um, between Dana and, and Holden's Holden's rooms. room. There's a like one sided uh, window. Yeah, like a, a yeah one way mirror. Yeah. Um, 
And so they get back together. They manage to find Kurt and they get out of the house and they get to the RV and they're driving off. Um, and there's supposed to be a tunnel collapse that's supposed to block them, but they're getting really close to the tunnel. And they, all of a sudden they realize that it hasn't like collapsed. That hasn't been triggered. And so they go down, Citizen goes down and he's like freaking out. And he's like, what do you, like, how could this happen? Like you, and they're you like, dropped there's the ball. A, like, you didn't you even get the order yeah. and like our power's out. So he's like fussing around with the wires. Um, and they get into the, the uh, people in the RV get into the tunnel. Um, but he like gets the wires, like send the spark to actually get the tunnel to collapse. It starts happening in front of them. So they need to like reverse out of it. Yeah. And they get out of there. So they're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Like, we can't get out of here. We can't get help. Um, but they did bring a dirt bike. Yes. And, and c- Kurt is very athletic. Yeah. And so he's like, here's what I can do. Like, I can jump from this side of the ravine to the other. I've done this before. Like, I've made longer jumps than this. It'll mm-hmm. be fine. Yes. So he goes and he gets on his dirt bike and he goes and he zoom, zoom, zoom uh, up like a ramp type thing and then smacks into an invisible wall. Yes. There and, is a force field. Yes. Which you kind of see at the beginning because there's a bird that flies into it when yeah. they're heading I think that's what I was thinking of with the, uh, when I said something about an electrical yeah. bird. That I think there's sense. another movie that has an electrical bird or maybe this one does somewhere else. Mm. There's some movie I've seen somewhere with an electrical bird and I thought it was in this but it might not You're not be. making up the electrical birds. I'm sorry. Birds. I'm really tired. That's all right. Um, and so he dies. He like gets zapped oh, yeah, a million times and like falls down a huge ravine and they're like, fuck like what do we do now uh holden and dana decide to go back and dana's like oh my god they were like marty was right we should have listened to him yeah like nothing matters we're gonna die just gotta keep it together like you're not making any sense because he didn't hear what marty had to say right and so she's like don't worry but then it turns out there's a little zombie on the uh oh god in the rv have you seen serenity i have not now okay it's the firefly movie is this like a spoilers it's also joss whedon property um wash who is the uh pilot is killed almost identically to the way that um holden is killed where he is flying the plane and he's in the middle of saying like um i'm a leaf i'm a leaf on the wind watch how i soar it's been a while i don't remember the exact phrase is that the one played by the redheaded dude yeah alan tudyk alan tudyk and he gets a spear through his neck Uh it's so sad it made me so angry but basically the same thing happens in this except it's coming from the back seat because there's a zombie in the back seat instead of like in front doesn't he have a similar name in a knight's tale to like wash or something like that i don't remember yeah, it's uh, I think it's Watt is his name or something like that. They, I don't know. Alan Tudyk's a national treasure who always has uh, names that start with W. Not actually true, but yeah, just reminded enough. me. Anyway, Night Sale is awesome. It's a great movie. Um, so they're like, yeah. So so Holden dies, and when Holden dies, the RV kind of goes off track, and they go into a lake. Yep, the lake that they'd been swimming in earlier, um, in happier times. So there's like a. The lake, and then there's, like, a um, a dock going out into the lake. And so Dana manages to get out of the RV, and she gets up onto Yeah, she the, the RV dock. gets, like, filled with water because it's now underwater. Yes. And she's trying to escape, and she's fighting this zombie girl. Mm-hmm. And as she's doing this, it, like, zooms out, and it's on the TV. And everyone who's a part of the lab is, like, drinking and, like, cheersing yeah, and all so of that. <laughs> while first... you're seeing her, like, getting beat to shit yeah. by this zombie. Because Pa Buckner, I think, shows back up. Yeah, because he's got originally the... Prudence patience i think was the oh, girl in the well because she comes back later as well she does but, was but she she's the, the girl I, it was one of them that was in the army it might have been, been one of the brothers um and then pa shows up but so like there's this this scene where he's like uh where where hadley is watching her as she's kind of like thrashing in the water and he's like yeah i don't know what it is i just i'm really rooting for this girl like and he's kind of explaining to 
to the uh, security guy there that like she's the virgin so she can die last but she doesn't have to die like as she's allowed she to survive suffers. yeah and she and he's like yeah she's just been through so much and like you know she's really struggled and grown and like immediately mid-sentence stops because some people are coming and he's like tequila is my lady because these like guys are coming in with a bottle of tequila yeah and then they start just like partying they're playing a bunch of music they all have beers and they're talking yeah and she's like getting her ass kicked yeah and i think that's where they're like and that's i think where actually the security guard guy is like why are you guys celebrating like this isn't over and that's yeah it's like because this thing the, is, the ritual yeah. is over mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this phone rings in the room and he's like turn everything off turn the fucking music off right now and he answers the phone he's like okay okay no we saw them like which one mm-hmm. and it turns out that marty didn't die no and in fact he saves dana by stopping he uses his like expando uh cup bong to block the chain on the bear trap that yeah. Bob buckner is trying to hit and her with earlier in this episode i said that the uh thing cost five hundred dollars to make i was wrong i missed a zero there it was five thousand dollars good to make. lord um, sorry for skipping that zero it's been a long week all <laughs> oh my god um so marty is like hey uh things are really insane come with me and they run off through the woods and he takes her to this grave and she's like, what are you talking about? We're not getting into the grave. And, and he's so he like, gets her into yeah. the grave and you can see a completely hacked up zombie on the ground. He's like, yeah, I had to, I had to dismember him with a trowel. <laughs> so, uh, how's, how have you been? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, not fucking great. Um, but the weird thing about this is there's like a control panel inside there and it's like a really, it's not like a normal dirt grave. It's like a cement room basically. Yeah. And so he is like wiggling around with some wires in the control panel and a panel on the floor opens and it's an elevator. And he's like, I think I can get it to go down. And she says, do we want to go down? And he's like, well, where else are we going to go? Yeah. So So they get in and they go down and you can see all of the different like creatures and monsters just like they are taken to one where they see like a ghosty pop out the rain mm-hmm. and then uh, they're taken to a couple others and it zooms out and you can see there are like a hundred of them yeah there's like a guy who you, and they realize when they're in the elevator that basically that they it made them pick yeah dana realizes it and she's like they made us choose because yeah. there's a guy who has like saws sticking out of their their heads mm-hmm. and he's holding like the little ball that like holden was playing with and yeah. trying to solve and she's like they made us choose in the basement and she starts just freaking out and she's like slamming up against the glass and crying and screaming and like um her hands are bloody because she's bashing her hands against it so there's hard also like where she puked blood uh, yeah up like when she was getting beat to shit from the zombie. She's not doing great she's doing overall. really badly. I'm actually surprised at how well she does considering. Yeah, honestly. She's like slowly dying for like the last 30 minutes of this yeah. movie. Um, and so they go downstairs and they get kind of cornered into like the elevator like um, hallway, like the entrance area um, by the security forces. And there's this button down there. Yeah, they, like, lock themselves in a control panel office. Yeah. And there's a button in the office. Everyone knows they're down there. They're chasing them and trying to kill them because they need to finish this ritual. And they're like, kill him. Don't kill her. You can kill her, but you have to kill him first because he's the fool and he has to die before she dies. Because she has to be the last one. Yeah. And so they find this room and they find this big button and they press it and it starts releasing all of the different creatures. Yeah. So there's, like, a giant bat going around uh, that crashes into the office that they're in at some point. There's, like, these creepy people in masks. There's, like, a unicorn. 
that straight up like stabs a guy. A dancer who has um, like teeth for a face. Yeah, like a lamprey face on the front of her. Uh, there's a killer clown. Yep. There's like a scary doctor. Um, there's some scarecrows. I miss the scarecrows. Yeah. Uh, I think the security guy kills the scarecrows. And I think he takes himself out with them. Gotcha. Um, but... There's also a merman. Oh, my God. Yeah. So um, everything's blowing up. And some people get into the uh, control room that Hadley and uh, Sitterson have been in. And something happens to Hadley. He falls. And he sees this little merman crawling towards him. And it's not what you would imagine from a merman. It's the top half of a fish, basically. But and with, he's like, like clawy arms. Yeah. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? And the <laughs> merman bites him and starts, like, spitting blood out of the blowhole. It's so gross. Um, I read somewhere, and I don't remember where this was, but that they shot about, like, 12 seconds of the blood spurting. They just only used, like, the last second of it. Uh, it's great. It was, it's like, a the last perfect minute death. Uh, they didn't originally plan on it, but they perfect wanted it to be a little death. more interesting looking. And so while all this is happening, Dana and Marty kind of get to get free like somebody bashes one of the monsters bashes a hole in the wall that was the giant bat yes and so they escape through the hole in the wall because oh wait no 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 it doesn't i don't know if it bashes it flies in through the window but i think the bat's the only oh, one who yeah. made it into that room no but it's like a hallway outside because remember they're in the hallway and they like oh, run yeah, through the right. there's i forget what it is that bashes the hole in the wall maybe it's the unicorn um but they escape through that so they kind of get around all of these monsters and they go down to this like temple yeah, they do. And they can see all the big stones. And that's when they realize this whole thing is like a sacrificial yeah. deal. And they actually run across Sitterson on the way. And he's basically like, basically tells Dana, like, just kill, kill him. him. Yeah. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, and then he and dies. And at some point, it's been somewhat explained to us what's going on earlier in the yes, movie. Yes, basically. But but we see it. They kind of understand shortly after. They start to They go down out. into this, like, temple. And they find these carvings on the wall that are the athlete the scholar, the whore, the, whore, the, the virgin, and the fool. Yeah. And, and he's like, what are these? And she's like, oh, they're us. Or maybe vice versa. She realizes that, yeah. yeah. And then um, the director comes out and is Who played is... by Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> I love her so much. I remember everyone cheered when I saw this in theaters. Yeah. I think I saw it opening weekend. Yeah. We might have actually seen this movie together in we theaters. Might I think that we did. I remember going with a group of like eight people. Yeah, I probably went with you. That I knew, I, I know I wanted to see it, so we probably would have. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, and she's like, so here's the deal. Uh, basically the ancient ones are below us. So basically at this point, this turns into like a cosmic horror about like eldritch gods and shit like that. Um, she's like, they are waiting to wake up and destroy the earth, but we can appease them by doing this ritual. And this ritual is different in every place. Mm -hmm. Um, in... They actually show clips at some point of all the different ones that have failed, which are all different references to other horror Yeah, genres. like the so Norwegian one is basically the beginning of the thing. It is. Um, <laughs> the European one is the uh, it's like an old Gothic horror. They're showing like a castle that's burning. Nice. Um, there's one in like Brazil that's like a big, uh, or that's what, I think that's the King Kong one where they show like mm. the giant dead uh, yeah. gorilla. And then um, there's one that is a natural a disaster type thing. So they have a bunch of them. And actually, I think the natural disaster one is actually a shot from a real movie, oh but I can't God. remember what the movie was. So she kind of explains the whole thing. And she's like, so all of these different people fulfill all these different roles. And you, Dana, are the virgin. So you die last. And Dana's like, uh, I'm not a virgin. And she's like, well, we kind of have to work with what we have. Yeah, they... Um, 
<laughs> they have been like forcing everyone to fill into these roles. Yeah. Not like they couldn't actually get people who were right. stereotypes. Yeah. And so Dana's like, you need to just kill Marty and then the world will not end. And so Dana points a gun at Marty and is like, I mean, like, I'm sorry, but you know. And right as she's about to do that, she gets attacked by a werewolf. Apparently part of the reason that Sigourney Weaver signed on to this is because she was going to get to be in a scene with a werewolf. And she was like, cool. Yeah. Being famous must be amazing. <laughs> like, uh. And then Patience Buckner shows up because she's kind of been wandering around this whole time. Yeah. And she kills the director and like throws her off of the... There's like a cliff or they're on like a, a platform and then below are the, the ancient ones. Yeah. And um, yeah, Patience Buckner is attacking and like... They're about to fall off, and Dana, like, kicks them off the rest yeah. of the way. And so Dana, who is very injured now from also this werewolf attack, and uh, Marty just kind of, like, curl up, and they're talking, and he, she's like, I'm sorry I almost killed you. I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have. Um, he's like, it's okay. I'm sorry I let you get attacked by a werewolf. <laughs> and they share a joint. He pulls out a joint out of his pocket, which apparently has stayed there the whole time. And they basically say, like... With human, if this is like what humanity has come to, maybe it is time just to let like a new world be born. Yeah, and so then at the end, everything collapses in, and a huge hand pops up like out of the out earth. of the earth and like clamps down, clamps down on the, it. Kind of goes towards the screen, but it's like coming out of a cabin and like destroying. And everything. that's it. That's the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so this one, like we said, was done by uh, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon, and they basically cooped themselves up in a bungalow for like three days to do this. That's awesome. And just powered on through. Uh, this is the only thing that they talked about for like that three to four days. Um, and they just want to make a horror movie. I guess uh, Drew Goddard was really excited about the idea of like a cabin movie. And um, they said that they wanted it to be a loving hate letter to the horror genre. I love that. Uh, which I actually think it kind of, in that sense, has a fair amount in common with um, Funny Games. Yeah, I Which we kind that. of, you know, mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, Funny Games, I wouldn't call a love letter. No, I it's think a, I guess it's a hate letter, it's but just it's not a, hate a letter. loving letter. Yeah. Um, and Whedon says about this, uh, I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification, identification thing of wanting definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things that I don't like are kids acting like idiots, the devolution of the horror movie into torture porn, and into a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Drew and I both felt that the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. And then Goddard commented you know what was interesting was the notion of why is there this horrific part of our society why do these movies exist why do we feel the need to objectify and destroy youth these are questions that expand outward from the central thesis and that informs where we wanted to take the movie <sighs> that's so interesting i love that this isn't just like a parody no it, it it's i mean it is its own freestanding horror it is but i mean it also is making, like, a social critique and not, like, let's just make fun of the genre. Yeah, and I like that. And I think that they're smart to make you care as much as you do about the characters in the very beginning. A hundred percent. Because I think one of the things that it really critiques is how unfair it is to punish, like, teens and young adults for acting like teens and young adults. Yeah, and it is interesting because along the line, uh, or along the way, they do have to make a lot of choices. Like, you get to the Harbinger and he's like he basically says if you continue you're not you're gonna die you're like you're not gonna be able to come back he doesn't say those exact words but he gets pretty damn close to it yeah and that's something that they lean on in the like organization a lot and being like well they did it so it's not our fault like they have to make the decision but it's like 
Okay, but if you were going on this trip and you had this cabin rented and you met a creepy guy at a gas station, would you derail your entire trip because of that? No one would do that. Like, there are so many creepy men. Like, if I had to not do things I wanted to just because some weird man talked to me at a gas station, I'd never do anything. Also, they're hella drugged the entire time. So it's the whole thing where if they're super drugged, they're probably not actively making that choice. Right. And then they talk about, like, the... Like, once they actually get to the house, the controllers are pushing them towards certain decisions so hard. Like you said, they are drugged, so they're not making wise decisions. There are voices telling them what to do when they're in this messed up state. The cellar door flips open. They don't find that cellar door and decide to investigate, which I think is also an interesting direct critique of Evil Dead. It's like, the door flips open in, like, the same exact way, so... It's the same thing where, like, the kids aren't really doing anything wrong. They're exploring something weird that happened. What, are they just supposed to not investigate that? Yeah. Um, And, like, why would they ever assume that touching some random stuff or, like, reading something out of, like, a journal in a basement, just basic curiosity would get them brutally murdered? There is a great Twitter thread I read recently about a woman who, like, went to tour, like, a really beautiful, like, gothic-inspired house and how she was going through, and there are all these, like, very obvious signs this place is, like, fucked up, and, like, there are doors that lead to nowhere in the basement, and they have all these things, and her husband's like, no, this is fucked up. I've and how seen she, that one. As, like, a, like, random, like, woman who just really wanted a house and fell in love with this place was, like, so ready to buy a house. It was, like, very obviously very haunted. Right. And his, or her husband was just like, no, we need to get out of <laughs> There's there. There's a tiny door that goes nowhere. Every single thing about why we are not going to get this place. And she's like, oh, my God, I almost just, like, put myself into this horror movie. Yeah. And it's something that, like, we, I don't know. Like, if you don't know you're in a horror movie, you would never, like, it kind of reminded me of in Friday the 13th where, like, the kids sneak off to have sex, Right. They're teenagers alone or, like, college students alone at a camp. They don't know there's a murderer hanging around who, like, is going to blame them for her son's death many years ago. There are no kids around at that point. It's not like they're neglecting anyone. They're just off having fun. They're getting ready to have kids there, but they're not, like, actively ignoring anyone or doing anything bad the entire time they're there. Right. And I also thought of in Scream, like... That also talks a lot about the rules, and also the situation is being actively manipulated by one of the murderers. 100%. Because she doesn't know that her boyfriend's the killer. So when she finally makes the decision to, like, sin and have sex with her boyfriend, he is pushing her into that decision knowing that then that's going to justify... Him killing her. Him killing her, which is the same exact thing that they're doing in this, and I think it's an interesting, like, common critique where it's like, well, how are you ever supposed to not... Like, how are you supposed to be safe when you're just living your life like a normal person? A hundred percent. And how unfair is it for these movies to apply that, like, morality to these innocent kids, you know? Yeah. And also, I mean, the whole thing is so obviously produced. Like, you talked about at the end, like, they they have to shove them into these roles that they don't really fit. Yeah, they, like, put chemicals into Jewel's hair dye in order to make her dumber, to kind of turn her into that horror, like, role. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt, they kind of made like an egghead, I think is what they call him, yeah. some, or something like that, where he's usually like really smart and he is athletic, but he is both of those things. They take away the intelligence and just leave like this shell of like a dumb right. athlete. And they kind of, it's almost like they have to make them fit um, the context of the weekend instead of the context of their actual lives. Because, like, so you have Jules, who, like you said, is the whore and she's kind of drugged into that. Um, she's in a monogamous relationship yeah. with a guy that she loves. It's implied that they've been together for a while. And until she does the weird dance and she's drugged, like, 
she's she's nothing. not no she's not overtly sexy and then like even when they do decide to go have sex they leave the house to like not annoy their yeah like the other people there they're like being respectful i also thought it was interesting that she the final girl having a gender neutral name is something that happens all the time jules could easily be the final girl because jules is also a male name that's true but the only difference is they, they know she's gonna have sex on this trip Oh, because her boyfriend is there. Whereas Dana, who actually makes more sense to be the quote unquote whore, I guess, because she just finished up having like, yeah, having this affair with this older man. We see her in her underwear in the first shot. Yep. She also has the gender neutral name, though. She's not going to have sex on the trip because she's trying to get her mind off of this professor and she doesn't want to get right into something else. She doesn't want to be set up. So even though in the greater world, you know, she might be a little bit more overtly sexual than Jules is, she gets to be the final girl because it fits the weekend better. And it's the same thing with like Kurt and Holden. Kurt, his opening scene has him talking about scholarly pursuits and like his education and what he knows, how much he knows about like his sociology degree. Whereas Holden's first scene has him- Catching a ball. Right, and how great he is at athletics. But Kurt's gonna have sex on the trip. Who has sex with the whore? The athlete. So he gets to be the athlete. That and the scholar has to uh, like tempt the virgin. Right. It's like a part of the uh, ritual. Exactly. So he gets to be the scholar. Holden gets to be the scholar because he and Dana are attracted to each other. And then the person who's the fool is the one who actually gets what's going on the entire time. Yeah. And I thought that that was interesting because apparently the tarot interpretation of the fool is very like finding like the truth and meaning of things through like sort of unconventional ways so he is like the traditional tarot reading of the fool i guess oh i love that he also fits it perfectly because he's high as fuck one of my favorite fun facts that i forgot to say earlier because we didn't actually talk that about them going swimming because it wasn't Mm -hmm. an important scene in the long run there's a scene in the beginning where they all go swimming except for friend kranz and it's because he like sits on the uh the pier yeah. and just like smokes and the reason why he didn't go swimming with them is because he actually has the best body out of all three of the men yes he does um they really want to make him like a scrawny nerd but they're okay so joss whedon the same year also made or i guess the same year this came out made a version of uh much ado about nothing that he kind of like shot at his house with a bunch of his actor friends and frank Kranz takes his shirt off to go in the pool he is ripped yeah that's why they didn't he let him go into the water and, and i thought that was so funny and they're like nobody's gonna believe that this is just some stoner guy if he takes his shirt off and he's got like this amazing body yeah um but yeah so the idea is then that like his weed which is the thing that makes him the fool is also they didn't get to his stash like they, i guess they drugged the wrong stash or something like that and so he yeah they missed one of them so it made him immune yeah so he's just like crazy paranoid the entire time and he sees through what's going on um, and then, of course, the other thing that they're commenting on is how over the top the suffering can get. Yeah, this was actually based on a or there's a handful of movies that they cited as inspiration for this. I know that Saw was one of them. Yeah, they don't like the Saw movies, um, although it doesn't sound like they've seen the Saw movies. I didn't read the interview. I just saw that they considered Cabin Fever, Resident Evil, Evil Dead, 1984 and Saw all as uh inspirations yeah i can certainly see especially with all of the evil dead references there is some very unnecessary tree on woman violence in that movie there is i think we eventually will do an episode on it we just need kind of a break from sexual violence for a little bit well we'll see what happens yeah um yeah and they kind of don't like the fetishization of violence over actual plot and they do mention that this is not a horror specific thing that any genre over time will devolve into cliches so like you have your romantic comedies that just end up being the same beats over and over and over again so it's not like horror is bad it's just like 
let's freshen up the genre and kind of take another look at things. Um, and, you know, they do talk about the criticism of, like, the violence and the sexuality involved in horror movies. Hadley outright says that it doesn't matter if she lives or dies. She just needs to suffer. And they're, like, literally having a party while she's suffering. And it's sort of like that same lip service that people pay to, like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you you really identify with the female lead. But also you're willing to watch her get, like, violently attacked over and over and over again. And, you know, we definitely... I think that we enjoy horror and we can relate to the female leads that get violently attacked over and over again. I don't think that watching women go through horrible things is like the fun side of horror necessarily. But I also do understand that there are probably people who watch that that are also into like the, I mean, the cool kills is a fun aspect of horror. There is a line, there's like, you know, watching like the fourth Friday the 13th movie and being like, oh, that's a ridiculous way to kill someone versus watching like... I, I spit like, on your grave. It's like a very different. first 10 minutes of like Saw 4 or something like that. And someone's like cut open and their like insides all pour out like publicly. Because yeah. Like, uh, I, I thought saw I was watching one. Saw 2 and I accidentally started Saw 4 because they were all That's the Netflix. one where she's like in the park and there's like the blade that uh, she like gets lowered down onto. Yes, but she wasn't in a park. She was like in a like storefront. Oh. And you could see it in through the window. Maybe that's the one I saw. Um, but yeah, and they all kind of like look like hot dogs coming out of her. Mm. And it was like hard to take seriously. Yeah, and the I, over the topness is like what makes it easy to watch. We kind of talked about this last episode where yeah. th- when it's something realistic that can actually happen to you, it's not something that's like super scary. But when it's something that's like so ridiculous and over the top and is like not gonna happen, like then real murders don't happen like that, um, it almost like enters a fantasy realm and it's just yeah, kind of funny at times. Yeah, um, but I get the critique that like after a certain point, like why would you watch a horror movie if it's literally just people being violently murdered and you don't care about any of them? And this movie actually makes you care about them and you get upset when you see them being violently attacked. Yeah. Um, and so I think you kind of mentioned earlier the idea of Citizen and Hadley being sort of an analogy or stand-ins for Goddard yeah, and Whedon. Yeah, uh, they I said that so at perfect. some point. I think it's so Because perfect. they are, like, the ones orchestrating the whole thing. They're watching, like, imagine, like, you can feel bad for your characters sometimes, but then also, like, great, let's kill them off. Like, yeah. let's party because it's over. Right. And I also think that there's, like, a, like, whether it's Goddard and Whedon specifically or not, like, the controllers kind of act as, like, a stand-in for filmmakers in horror in general. Yeah. Where you can be like, oh, no, I love them. I hate to see them suffer. But also, like, I can't wait for her to take her top off because it's what, like, the ancient one slash audience we are not the ones watching we're exactly doing it for the people who are which right. is like you said earlier so funny games it's very funny games yeah the main two characters and funny games two men who are like i'm not doing this this isn't my choice to do this and mm-hmm. they break the fourth wall and say like you are the one watching this movie like we are making this movie for you right but at the same time in this movie you can also tell that they are still getting something out of it they are like, and they're they, having fun yeah and they tell everybody to get out and they're like oh you know it's not that we want to see her boobs it's that the people downstairs want to see their boobs and like Truman is like so upset about it at first but when he walks over to watch it he has his clipboard placed in front of his crotch <laughs> yeah, and he, he still comes over to look at it and Hadley and Sitterson are obviously still enjoying it and like you can make you can say that, oh, this is just what the audience wants. We're just, like, passing it off to them. I read that, uh, just speaking of the mm-hmm. boobs, um, that Drew Goddard, when he, he was making this, this was the first movie he'd ever directed. He was, like, a little uncomfortable with Aww. the nudity because he had, like, a very uh, religious upbringing. Aww. And But the actress was, like, just super professional. And she's like, it's fine. Like, it's really not a big deal. You don't have to worry. 
and she like calmed him down about it. Oh my it. god, and, that's like, just so funny. Was, like so professional and straightforward about it that like it made it more comfortable for him. Oh my god, I love that as a fact. I love that too. No, but I, I like the idea that like in funny games, I think part of what rubs me the wrong way about that is I feel like they put all of the onus onto the uh, audience, whereas in this one, it's kind of both. Like they're saying, yeah, no, it's just the great ones. The great ones want it this way, but. We've seen that, like, the great ones are open to different things based on what they're used to. So Japanese people don't need boobs because it's, like, a J-horror and there's not, like, a virgin or whatever because it's that none of those tropes apply to them. It's a totally different ballgame. different tropes. So it's almost like they're, like, it gets upset when something happens outside of what it's expecting to happen. So it's like these controllers aren't willing to take the risk to change up the way that this is happening or to change how they're producing this. adjusted over the years, they said. Yeah, a little bit. But they're not willing to take real risks because they're afraid to piss off their audience, which is such like a filmmaker. And it's true because like individually, a filmmaker might have an idea that doesn't fit into Hollywood or, you know, to what audiences would be expecting. And sometimes it still works, but it can still be a huge risk that like a studio is not willing to take because it is an investment and the stakes are high. They're not end of the world high, but... It could still end your career. It could still sink your studio. Like, that kind of thing can happen, which I think is... There's just so many layers. It's so meta. (laughs) It's such a meta movie. And then talking about inspirations for this to get a little more meta, or I guess this is meta or not, but I think it was Drew Goddard, uh, who grew up in, like, New Mexico or, like, near a base where they were working on the atomic bomb. Yeah. And how they're all these scientists just, like, living their normal lives and still having a good time, but they were creating something that would kill, like, millions of people. Yeah, he said he, like... Uh, tried to make it look like those facilities mm-hmm. as well, right? Yeah, totally. And so it's the idea of, like, there are people out there who are, like, making these things that actually then do kill all these people, and they just still have to live a normal life. Yeah. They look like everyone else. Um, so that's the hate part of the loving hate letter. The love part is also very oh clear my God, in this movie. I love movie. the love letter. Because um, you can't watch this movie and not see how many horror movies no, this is. Uh, yeah, Evil Dead is yeah. definitely there. Oh, my God. I mean, the cabin looks exactly like it. There's the whispery voices, the cellar door, the, the zombies. that you read, and then it yeah. brings all these things, evil yep. things to life. The evil molesting trees or the angry molesting trees, even yeah. though you never actually get to see them. Thank God, but yeah. Um, obviously funny games we've talked about. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the gas station attendant is basically both the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Hills Have Eyes. Uh, um, the guy with the saw sticking out of his head is very, like, Hellraiser-y. And, like, the the puzzle ball is very similar to the puzzle box in Hellraiser. Yeah, he's definitely knockoff uh, he's Pinhead. Sawhead. His name is Torturous Lord of... No, Fornicus, Lord of Torture and Bondage, I believe is his name in the movie. Wait, so I have it right here. He's definitely got a sexual element to him as well. Oh, without a doubt. Which is, you know, I would say that Pinhead is one of the more sexual horror villains. Yeah, so that's a pretty obvious one to me. I mean, if you look at all the movies that I mentioned before that are the, like, the failed experiments. Yeah. Also, one of the best references, and I Googled this, I was like, this has to be a reference because it wasn't in the uh, fun facts. Mm -hmm. But in the very beginning of the movie, they said, like, they haven't had a failure since 1998 when no one died. Right. And it was all the chem department's fault. Yes. That is a reference to the movie The Faculty in which the only person who dies is the virgin who is also the bad guy. Right, because they all take drugs that make them immune to the monsters. Yep. Which is also, we mentioned briefly in The Thing, right? Because the scene in The Faculty is like almost where they take all the drugs is like a close knockoff to the scene in The Thing where they're testing the blood. We might have talked about that, but I haven't actually seen The Faculty. I just yeah. pulled the reference. Oh, I only saw that scene because somebody, because gotcha. I read about it during The Thing thing. 
Um, there's also a creepy clown who looks almost exactly like Pennywise from the original. The original it. Like Tim Curry Pennywise, yeah. yeah. Um, there are doll face people, like people with like porcelain masks yeah. walking around who light people on fire. Also um, very uh, which is like from the strangers, the movie The Strangers. Very also reminiscent of um the 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 movie where all the rules go down. The purge? The purge. Yeah. I which definitely got strong purge. Yeah. To, uh, the strangers, but Yeah, I, was, I think that they're all kind of I mean, I think the strangers came out they're kind of around similar, the same time. Yeah, time frame. So um I think it's just a common idea, but I can see it being a reference to both or either. You can also see um, a boomer, a smoker, a witch, a tank, and a hunter. Wait, can you really? Yep. When they Wait, zoom out, I missed that. Yeah, I, I didn't actually notice I need to go it. Back I just and watch. read about it. Um, but when they zoom out from all the cells when they're in the elevator, you can see all of them around. I guess I you can see some of them it. out and about during the murder as well. Or I feel like the I would have noticed that. Yeah. So there was supposed to be tie-in material for the game where you can go into the like underground um, kill me corporation. I want this so badly. I know, but then MGM went bankrupt and they had to put this on hold and so it couldn't come out like in time for the game and it just didn't end up working out time wise and it breaks my heart because that would have been so good and they were like you know what you can just leave them in there they look right anyway so just keep them which oh my god I love it can you even imagine so yeah I mean this is just like the whole movie once everybody starts running out and like going crazy is just a mishmash of all of these different people, so all of these different references. And I don't know, it's just so joyful. And like, it's also incredibly pessimistic because the whole world ends at the end of it. But I just, I love it. It's such a good movie. It's very depressing, but it makes me happy every time I watch it. It does. It's such a good movie. I want to watch it like over and over and over again. Yeah. I feel bad because I went to Paula and I was like, I'd watch the first half and I need to watch the second half. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you've seen this before, right? And I described it a little bit. He's like, oh yeah, I've seen that one. I was like, great. So I turned it on we're watching it and about like, 30 or probably probably like 15 minutes to the end he's like yeah i haven't seen this before and i was like no the first half is so good i love the first half it's when you get all the good character time i know that and like when you don't know what's going on the first time you watch it yes and you're actually like very confused by the opening scene yeah i was very confused by that because i definitely knew like they didn't put that in any of the marketing no really it was just all the kids at the cabin so like when you watch the trailer you don't know I mean, there might be a flash here or there, but, like, you don't see... You don't know what's going on. You don't know it to the extent that, like, the movie shows it. Yeah. Like, I actually hadn't seen a single trailer for it before watching the movie, so Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what it did or did not know because I watched it with, like, The Curse of Knowledge. Yeah. Um, But, ugh, this movie's so good. It's so... Like, it's great. And, like, I have my issues with Joss Whedon's writing as time has progressed, but I think this is, like, ideal Joss Whedon. I don't really like the way he wrote Avengers, but that's... I have a lot of opinions about Avengers podcast, but I love uh, Buffy, so... Oh, of course. I mean, Buffy's an icon. Um, Angel's great. Firefly's incredible. Dollhouse is better than people give it credit for. I've heard good things. Yeah. I haven't watched Firefly. I love Firefly. It's one season. It doesn't take very long to watch. I know. I'll watch it when you finish uh, It's Penny Dreadful. Oh, God. You Penny Dreadful is like four seasons. Um, excuse me, it's three and you're already a season and a half in. Also, there's already a new season coming out. Did you know about that? It's a reboot. It's a different show. It still counts. Penny Dreadful, uh, City of Angels. I'm not including it as the same show. Just finish the original that's on Netflix. Okay, I will. And then I'll watch Firefly. I will do it eventually. I promise you. I don't I'm so bad it, at watching okay. television. I've just started watching Love is Blind. But you haven't watched The Circle yet. No. The Circle is so good. I've heard good things about Love is Blind, too. Love is Blind is a whole mess, but... 
this is not what this podcast is about. So no. I'll spare you my it's thoughts. It's fine. We'll start a new that. podcast about bad reality TV shows on Netflix or really good ones because honestly, the circle is excellent. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Well, anyway, um, speaking of excellent things, what are we doing next time? Yeah, I realize that we just said we want to do something without sexual violence, and this one has a little bit of it. That's because a less less of it, although yeah. it is very upsetting. It's very upsetting, but, but it's brief. It is brief. Uh, but we are going to be doing The Exorcist. We sure are. We're getting back to the classics. Yes, uh, we've done a lot of classics in the past. We were actually googling like top 50 like classic horror movies and we've done so many of them yeah we really have um but i'm excited to do this one obviously it's iconic um it's super important the first time in college yeah i probably did as well uh someone's copy yeah it's a great movie um we're super excited to talk about it so we will be back in about two weeks uh with that episode and until then please be safe it is a scary time um err on the side of caution but don't don't stock up toilet paper and hoard no, resources share the in your home paper, uh do wash your hands yeah wash your hands be safe don't be an asshole to other people uh just be considerate there's a fight that broke out at like a walmart i over heard somebody got paper. stabbed oh my god so don't stab your I neighbors over toilet paper i went grocery shopping yesterday and it was actually very peaceful and i was huh. like this is pretty nice but also i was not i was buying like a normal amount of groceries i just never buy groceries yeah so. i gotta do that i might do that on the way home so pray for me yes i will um all right well we will talk to you guys soon until then stay safe um enjoy your quarantine time if that is what is ahead of you uh and uh text us when you get home all right we love you bye Mwah. <laughs>